On episode 63 of BRC and Friends, and the final installment for Filipino American History Month 2023, I chat with Megan Reyes, journalist, podcaster, and content creator. Recently honored by Hashtag Sports as a creator of color, we not only talked about Megan's entry into sports broadcasting, but we'll talk about growing up in Idaho, women's soccer, specifically the women's Philippines national team, and of course, that question and dilemma about being Filipino enough. We had a great time talking, and I, for one, cannot wait to see what is ahead for Megan. Take a listen, and you'll see why. Thanks for being here. Grab a beverage, pull up a chair, and enjoy listening to my conversation with Megan Reyes. My name is Bruce Reyes Chow, and this is BRC and Friends. Each episode, my co-hosts and I chat with activists, artists, academics, and adventurers to discuss politics, faith, pop culture, technology, and as you will discover, pretty much everything that pops into our heads. This is basically an excuse for us to hang out with friends and colleagues and riff about things that matter. Welcome to BRC and Friends. And welcome to BRC and Friends. I'm very excited. Our final episode for Filipino American History Month, though really this could be any month. We have Megan Reyes on today, who I have seen the name and watched, and then all of a sudden, uh, my wife and I are big uh, women's soccer people. We then, I said, wait a minute, we are at an Oakland Soul game, and we're like, I think that person is the same Megan Reyes. And then we went to the World Cup, and we like were looking at podcasts. I'm like, holy Moses. <laughs> Megan Reyes has a podcast about the Philippine American or the, the Philippine American, the Philippine uh, uh, national women's team. And so uh, we'll talk about a lot of things today. But first, let's go ahead and have uh, Megan, if you would go ahead and introduce yourself, tell us where you are, anything interesting, uh, pronouns, all that kind of stuff. Welcome to the show. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for having me. Yes, my name is Megan. I go by she, her. I'm based in Sacramento. We can talk more about that. Actually, a lot yes. of people don't know that. But I'm based in Sacramento. But I am all over the world. Fortunately, life and career takes me everywhere. But home base, where I lay my head at night when I'm not traveling, is Sac. That's that's awesome. So yes, I was you. I will say your bio was very hard to find. I actually <laughs> did a little bit. I was like, I got where, and then I saw something pop up that says Sacramento, and I was like, huh. Because I grew up in Sacramento. Uh, I grew okay. up in Sacramento and Stockton are my hometowns. Uh, and we share uh, somewhere back in the Philippines, a Reyes, uh, right. uh, somewhere. <laughs> Relative. <laughs> well, somewhere. Where, uh, my, my, I'm, I'm third generation. My grandfather came over and he was originally De Los Reyes from, and he's Elicano. So I don't know if we're okay. 12 cousins or something. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah, I grew up in the South Side. South Side, like it sounds tough. I grew up in Green Haven in Sacramento. Um, okay. So, uh, where, where, without obviously, don't give your address away, but whereabouts in <laughs> Sacramento are you? I'm in the Natomas area. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. So that's when I grew up. That was like far away. We, we, yeah, we, it still is kind of far away. <laughs> it's definitely developed a lot now. That's sort of by design because of the airport is not too far away, and so that's by design why I'm over here. But yeah, it's um, I. Like a lot of people don't know I live here. And so when I tell people, they're like, really? But to be honest, you know, I was in the Bay Area for 10 years. And then once I started working for myself and money comes in in different ways than it once did. And the rent I was paying in Oakland was just it didn't make sense for how much I traveled. So this was the next logical step for me. I think life may take me to L.A. soon. But with it being a lot more affordable here compared to the Bay Area and for how much I travel, my money goes a lot further here as far as the space I get for rent. <laughs> Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, we, we have uh, rel- I saw relatives in Sacramento, Stockton, Elk Grove. For all of you from not from California, those are all kind of Northern California. 
areas. But where did where did you grow up? Oh, so I my story. I love when people ask me like, "Where are you from?" I'm like, do you want my whole life story? Um, my yes, parents we want came the whole from thing. <laughs> my parents came from the Philippines in uh, 1980, and when they moved to America, they they settled. They found roots in New Orleans. So that's where my brother was born. He spent the first 10 years of his life there. I was born there also. And when I was a baby, they moved to Northern Idaho. Um, my dad got a job there. And my mom loves to tell the story about how it was such a difficult transition. First, the culture shock of moving from the Philippines to the States. New Orleans being a little bit different, right? At least yeah. it's a little bit more racially diverse. Mm-hmm. And then moving from New Orleans to Northern Idaho, I think was just like miserable for her. I don't think she wanted to stay very long. And now they've been there like 33 years. <laughs> um, that's where I grew up. I grew up in Northern Idaho. Um, so what, called Mos- city, what city? Moscow. Okay. I've heard of it. So I heard of it. I was going to say most people have not heard of it, unfortunately, um, until the, the small town tragedy last year with those college students that were um, – that were killed in their home. Oh. That's actually where I'm from. That's my hometown, and that's where I went to college. It's where I graduated from. So now, when I tell people I'm from Moscow, they're like, "Oh, I've heard of that. Is that where X Y Z happened?" I'm like, "Yeah, unfortunately, no one knew about this place before now, and it's, now it's it kind of puts into town. context." Right, but mm-hmm. it's a university town, right? What what mm-hmm. is that? What school is it again? University of Idaho. It is University of Idaho. Okay, what's mm-hmm. the mascot? And then the Vandals. Oh, interesting. Idaho Vandals. And then right next door, about 10 miles away, is Washington State University. Oh, okay. So, so two close. small, two college towns right there. Um, but yeah, that's where I grew up. And then also where I went to college and graduated. And then when I graduated, I moved to Oregon for a year. And then after Oregon, I moved to the Bay in 2014. So I've been in California now, nine, nine plus years. And so mm-hmm. California is home now. Yeah. Awesome. Well, that's great. Uh, so how, uh, so what did you study? How did you get into, I mean, you, <laughs> you do a lot of different things. I mean, I love it because I was trying to figure, well, you can't, you, I mean, you're a journalist, but you're also a content creator and you're obviously doing voice work and you're act. <laughs> I mean, I love it. Like you're doing everything. <laughs> uh, so how did you get into this space? Like, was this always, were you like, were you one of those, we have video of you at four performing or were you like headed somewhere else? And then you're like, huh, I might be good at this over here. Like, how did you get to the space you're in now? Yeah, I've been in sports, working in sports since college. I figured that out when, fortunately, when I was a freshman, when I was 19, maybe coming on 19, that I wanted to work in the sports space. And I just got an internship with Idaho's athletic department and loved the game day experience and didn't realize that you could have careers working in sports. It's just not something I'd ever thought of. Grew up playing my brother my older brother it was me and him and so I wanted to do everything like my Koya and so he was super into sports so I was super into sports and I didn't know until again college that that's what I wanted to do so from college until I even after I graduated it was always a career in sports was what I wanted to do but what I do now as far as (laughs) being on camera and hosting and speaking in public hell no Never never would have wanted to do that never and I, I love to tell the story and I joke about how my senior year I was in a sports broadcasting class and I dropped it after the first day when the professor told us what we needed to do and how you would think signing up for a sports broadcasting class. And at that point, I wanted to be like Aaron Andrews and Sam Steele, her name at the time. And so I knew what it entailed, 
But then on that first day when she told us it required, you know, speaking on camera and interviewing people, I was like, oh, hell no. Mm-mm, mm-mm, no, 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 no. And I was terrified. Like, it's called sports broadcast. <laughs> and I was like, oh, really? I don't like that. Um, so what I do now as far as, yeah, talking on camera, I never would have wanted to do. And I think it's really special the way I kind of backed into this space. It started in the last few years. Um, and I really think it happened around COVID time. I tell people in, a, in an odd way, I think being on Zoom and being forced to speak on camera during a very remote time got me over that fear a little bit. There were times at one of my last full-time jobs where I had to present in front of the entire company. It was like 200 plus people. I was terrified, but it helped a little bit removing that in-person element of the audience watching where I could just like speak to my camera and ignore like the actual audience window on the side. And as I got a little bit more comfortable doing that, and then I had a podcast come out in 2021 where I got more comfortable interviewing and my guests would even say like, you make a really comfortable space for me to talk. And I never opened up about X, Y, Z where I kind of got like, I might have a knack for this. And so that's sort of how it came about. But I would have, I always say like, if you had told 18 year old me that I want to do live TV and I get a thrill out of it and I find it so much fun, I'd be like, no, you don't. (laughs) That's awesome. So yeah, that's that's kind of how I came into this space. Right. Well, I, n- I noticed. Uh, so you've worked with a lot of teams, a lot of groups. So you did college sports, and you've done. Mm-hmm. You're doing professional sports. But let's go back to. So did you play sports? You said you played. What did you play? Let's let's go back in glory days a little bit. Uh, <laughs> oh, tell me about gosh. Megan. Megan the athlete. Megan the athlete. My Megan's athletic career was very short lived. I stopped. <laughs> so I stopped playing like traditional sports when I was like ten. I played okay. softball. So my brother was a baseball player. Um, played, played in college, coached, still to this day coaches my niece's softball team. Um, so I played softball, t-ball, and then I played basketball, but I'm 5'1". So the basketball career was not going to go far. I stopped playing sports when I think I was in seventh grade and I took dancing very seriously because I was also ballerina, um, classically trained, wanted to be in New York, dancing for like the ABA from the time I was seven until I graduated high school. So once I stopped playing traditional sports, I it was just full-time ballet for me, which was my own sport. So my traditional athletic career was not, it was not, it was not a long one. So but I look were, back were, on it. I was like, you were like the, the stereotypical Filipino-American player that played midfield basically in soccer. No, I was going to say, I wish looking back on it that I, my parents put me in soccer. My brother didn't play. It's just, we didn't play. Uh, I mean, it's funny. I, I hate running. I hate running. So I would have been a terrible (laughs) soccer player, but I never got the opportunity to figure out if I was going to like it or not. (laughs) I have, I have three uh, children and uh, our oldest when, when, when they moved from the half field. So this is way back to the full field. I remember her saying to us like, I like running and we're like yeah, maybe, so- maybe, maybe soccer is I think you're done I think you're done it's fine <laughs> but yeah my other two were like big soccer players and crazy okay. all that kind of stuff but uh yeah so um so okay so you were a dancer and let's talk a little bit about that so you you chose that um how much is mm-hmm. that parallel when you see like youth sports like it feels like my, my kids when they got to sixth grade they had to choose right they put their so- the softball stuff away broke my heart I was a baseball player and, okay. and I, I, I still have, uh, this is terrible podcasting. I still have a softball on my desk because mm-hmm. my youngest, my youngest child stopped pitching and I'm like, Oh, 
And so, um, but because they had to choose soccer, right? All their kids were going to club and they were all doing that. And Mm -hmm. so, but I assume dance is similar, right? You, at some point, if you're going to kind of, you choose, what's been your, as you're watching sports around youth in particular, uh, what have you seen? What's your take on how youth sports has progressed in the last, you know, decade or 20 years or however long uh, as you've been watching things go on? Uh, I think my biggest thing with youth sports that I have the strongest opinion on is just the barrier to entry. Mm-hmm. Um, I was talking to one of my best friends about it because we went to the Sac Republic game together over the weekend. She played through high school and then stopped and her son plays and she was just saying how one, she wished she had taken it more seriously because she thinks she could have gone further than past high school. And two, how especially having kids now just it seems with the exception of my family and maybe some families like it's like the one sport when your child's like maybe four or five like oh we'll put them in soccer and then to your point they decide if they want to keep playing or not um but it seems like unfortunately a lot of the times that decision is made for people and it's made for people based on just your family and your and your income and that's just really my biggest opinion on it is how very quite early on in a childhood that decision is made because it's just how expensive it is, especially soccer. Like, if you want to be elite, if you want to really take it seriously, you got to do club. And even beyond soccer, like I look at my niece, um, she plays club softball. She also plays club volleyball. Like really any sport, yeah. travel basketball, any of it, you have to do, you know, your rec and maybe your school. And then if you really want to compete, you have to do club. And it's just so expensive and the time and the money. And that's just really my strongest opinion is I think it's, awesome at how competitive it's become but with the level of competition then it just becomes more expensive yeah yeah our kids grew up in san francisco and Mm -hmm. like the club per capita for kids is terrible i mean it's all it's very money driven it's uh Mm -hmm. my my youngest child is in college right now and is writing her dissertation on how youth sports upholds empire and Mm. to look at how it uh, informs the way the u.s continues to like and one of the reasons you know I think youth sports in the United States is so different than other places, but like how it upholds a particular way of being and access mm-hmm. is a huge, a huge part of that. I mean, we noticed teams getting less diverse. Um, mm-hmm. It was, and and I would say some of the players were like, well, this is money, not skill, right? At a certain level, it's just like, you know, we were told well, your, kid, your kid could play in college. We're like, could, could she? Like, really? <laughs> and they're like, if you come and pay like this amount of money, right. <laughs> so I'm like. That seems like there is now. I will say one of our kids did get recruited and she, all that kind of stuff. But then, like, it was that whole you buy into this and it's just right, it's just wild. Yeah, yeah. Um, all right. So, you uh, were a dancer, all that kind of stuff. You and now you've, you're in. Uh, so, drop some names. Like, what are you doing in terms of like who you're working for? Not like names of people, but like, so I know that you work with the soul, you're working with um, LA. Like, what are, what are you doing now? What's the, what are the exciting things going on for you? Yeah, so some of my work includes social media management and content. And so I, very fortunately, during, so it was like end of 2021. Yeah, December 2021, I started a freelance job with the Olympics, with the with the IOC, right before um, Beijing 2022. And so it was a short-term contract doing social media throughout just the games needed help being us based west coast based also really helps them keep the 24 7 coverage and very fortunately i've stayed on contract with them for the last 
you know, year and a half. So my my day job, which I don't think a lot of people realize I do still is, is social work, social media work. So I do stuff with the um, the official Olympics pages. I also work for women in soccer, if you've, if you've heard of them, a nonprofit that really just works to literally what it sounds like to bring more <laughs> women in soccer, either playing um, or working in the sport. And so those are two projects I work on. And then my content creation and my on-camera work, it, it varies. So I do stuff with EA Sports FC um, and then adjacently with Angel City, who I have a lot of love and I will admit bias towards. Um, <laughs> like you mentioned, Oakland Soul. Um, I'm working on a project with Sac Republic. I really just, the content I like to create is about growing the game, but the way I believe in, well, the way I have a skill in growing the game is telling player stories. Because to me, it's like, if you don't know anything about soccer and as it continues to grow in America, there's a lot of people that just, they love sports, they watch sports, but maybe they don't watch soccer. They don't understand the game, whatever it may be. But you get to know a player, you fall in love with a player, you like their personality. Just like with any other sport, you're going to watch, you're going to care a little bit more, and then maybe you're going to become a fan. So that's how I like to create content in order to grow the game is like, especially with in soccer, you have people from so many different countries and walks of life and stories and people that maybe didn't start playing till high school or they did, or maybe they've been playing their whole life and there's just so many really cool stories to tell and across the globe right like what i did this summer with the philippine national team so that's a lot of the work i i do is just how can we grow the game in a way that um is authentic to me because i didn't play and i'll be the first to say like i can't tell you the game technically i can't tell you why this one works and this doesn't and what they did wrong that's I will be the first to be like, that's not my strong suit. When I was hosting shows, I would tell them, like, if we're going to talk about analytics and we're going to break down the game, I will tee up those topics, but I'm, that's not <laughs> that's not what nice. I'm going to sit here and pretend to know how to do. Um, so, yeah, like, it varies month to month. It varies during the time of year. Obviously, the last year-ish with both World Cups has been really busy, but especially with 2026 is, like, far away, but not that far away to get excited for the next Men's World Cup. There's there's yeah. a lot of soccer on on my plate, which I love. It's it's fun. Our family we refer to the World Cup and then the Men's World Cup for the women. <laughs> so, um, and our every every four years, so we're big. We're, we only watch women's soccer. Like, that's all okay. we really watch. And so our love that. Um, our we've we've our tradition is every four years we all go to the World Cup. So we spent oh. uh, we went to France four years ago, and then we were just uh, in New Zealand and Australia too. Uh, and awesome. part of that, part of that experience was we, so we buy our tickets. If anybody's listening, pro tip, if you just want to do soccer, buy your tickets before the group stages are set and then get your housing. So we get our housing and our tickets before anything's set. And we just happened to get New Zealand during group mm. stage. And mm -hmm. so we got both Philippines and the U.S. So it was, That's we were awesome. up like at one in the morning in our in bed watching the draw happen going, that's us. We got, we got, That's awesome. we're so we got to go. Right. So part of our experience, I was listening to your podcast, right? So uh, how did oh, you get, how did you get connected to the Philippines national team? Uh, what, how, yeah. What was that connection? How did you develop that relationship with them? So the backstory on the podcast started about 
I want to say holidays of last year. And I remember I was driving from SAC to the Bay. I was in traffic. It was really lovely. And I was listening to the podcast Pink Card, um, ESPN 30 for 30, and they, in production was like a touch more, you know, shout out Meg Rapino and Sue Bird. Um, and it was about, for anyone that's not familiar, the story of a running women who, you know, are banned from going to football matches and the stories of the women who would sneak in and go and how they've been exiled from the country and, you know, just the politics and the cultural um, implications and obviously the football implications. And I re- the very first episode, the host um, was talking about how she's, you know, first generation Iranian American. She grew up in Reno. She grew up in a very white area. Um didn't speak Farsi and kind of felt like a little bit removed from her her culture. And in the first episode, she had she was interviewing someone who got banned, got caught going to a game, was exiled from the country. And she didn't since she didn't speak Farsi, her mom was translating for the guests. And I remember thinking like, that's really yeah. kind of cool. Like, I wonder what I could, how cool would it be if I had a project where my because I I don't speak Tagalog. I'm trying to learn, but I don't speak it. I don't understand it really. I can maybe understand like 10 things. (laughs) And so I was like, you know what? That'd be so cool if there was a project I could work on where my mom or my dad had to translate Tagalog for me. And I was like, what could that be? And I remember just driving me like, what could that be? Like, what story is there to tell? And then it dawned on me like, wait, Mm. the Philippines are going to the World Cup for the first time. Like, there's a story here. And I sat on it for a little bit to figure out what that story could be. I did some research and then I realized double weight half these players are from the u.s yep and i was like triple weight (laughs) here's the here's the story here's the story here so i started on it that way and then i by chance um if for those that are really tapped into philippine women's national team you may know of of venice furio and her her football brew podcast and she followed me by chance and Mm. i was like wait quadruple weight like hold on here's like someone i can cover or i can interview that actually covers the team closely and had two conversations with her and she was wonderful to speak to and i said you know i'm going to reach out to the national team and in your opinion what's the best way to do it like i have no issue reaching out to the players directly but i don't want to be that american that's going to sidestep the process of going through the you know the team and whatever i want to be respectful about it and she said oh i'll just give you the media officer's email i'll give him a heads up that you're reaching out um and then you can go through it that way and um so it was it was really because i asked i was like you know i see they have an email in their bio she's like oh no no don't go through there like it's gonna get lost in translation i'll i'll just make sure that i'll give him a heads up and here's his contact and so they were very open to the storytelling idea and he helped set up interviews with some of the players. And then because the world is small and the Bay Area is small, um, I know Reina Bonta's Tita, <laughs> like <Right>. we're friends. <laughs> and so I was going to, I called her to ask her opinion on, uh, on the show, Lisa, and I wanted her as a guest, as someone who is, Filipino American and who works in soccer and played soccer and all the things. And she's like, I love it. And did you know that Reina's on the team? I was like, no, <laughs> like, I oh, did really? not know Reina. Was, yeah. I was like, I did not know Reina was on the team. Um, so it all kind of worked out the way it sounds like it was supposed to with it just all sort of falling into place um, perfectly. And yeah, as I started to tell the stories and realize, yeah, okay, there's a lot of common denominators here, not just first generation, but second generation. And I had, just the best time writing that show and 
interviewing the players and then the way that the the teams run, you know, kind of came to be. I think a lot of people didn't expect the Philippines to yeah. even scroll, let alone win a game. It was just it was just really cool the way that that all turned out. And so I would like to continue the storytelling in some way. Obviously, they're doing Olympic qualifying now and yeah. the team is really starting to shape out. And even beyond that, like I feel like there's a niche there for me beyond soccer, just with all the Filipino American sports, because I joke about this, like I could tell you this person on this NFL team is Filipino and people be like, oh, I didn't know that. It's like only Filipinos would know that. Exactly. And we, we, and we, we flex we it all it. the time. Exactly. <laughs> only we would know that because it makes us so proud. So it's exactly. like, that's, like, there's a lot of cool stories to tell there. And the podcast around the national team, I think, was just like a really cool entry point. Well, that's awesome. My my favorite thing about Reina, I don't know Reina, uh, but uh, I, we happened to sit behind her dad at one oh. game. And uh, uh, and for those of you who don't know, Reina's dad, Reina's dad is Rob Bonta, uh, Attorney General of California. Like no big deal. Mm-hmm. But he's first and foremost <laughs> a soccer dad. Like he's mm-hmm. a soccer dad. And I mm-hmm. I watch his Instagram, and it's hysterical and sweet as can be. Is like he's still. He's you know, flexing dad. his, yeah, he's like, it's so funny. I'm just like, dude, you are always a soccer dad forever. And I respect that. I would totally <laughs> be doing the same thing. Like my kids still Wait. play like women's adult league. And I'm like, hey, am I watching my kid? Saturday morning, she's 24. She's 24, but we drove an hour. <laughs> that is so sweet. Wait, so what matches did you go? Did you, which ones did you go to? So we, we, so we, we went to 11 uh, matches across New Zealand and Australia. And then we also wow. did Australian football and rugby and got to do some other things. Cool. Um, so we went to the first, very first match in New Zealand uh, win and then mm-hmm. the and then went to the final. So we got to do we did the whole whole thing. That's uh, so but cool. we were at the winning when the Philippines beat New Zealand. Oh. That was by far my soccer highlight. Other uh, uh, than a couple games my kids played, soccer highlight of my life was watching that is them so first cool. first the goal. And because mm-hmm. it was, I had some friends like, "Well, are people going to show up from the Philippines?" I'm like, "Oh yeah, they are." <laughs> oh, are <laughs> like, they? Just, I was like, yeah. Oh, oh, we'll be there. Don't worry. And uh, so it was because it was New Zealand's home and there were so many Filipinos. So it was amazing, just the vibe. Uh, And so we got to be Mm -hmm. that. That was, and we stayed afterwards and just absorbed the whole thing. Um, So, yeah. So we got to see, I think we saw the Philippines play twice. Cool. Exactly. But, um, but uh, and then some some other things. But um, so let's let's talk. This is a good a, a good segue. I want to uh, touch into the um, Filipino American kind of thing on the national team. I have friends in the Philippines, uh, and they were they know we're big soccer people. So they were saying, "Hey, there's a little controversy brewing because there were like so many Phil Ams on it." And then there was like this. How much of that was part of your conversations with them? Like, what, did folks? You know, I know that there was. Uh, you know, just how Philippine Americans adjusted to being the Philippines and how did the Philippines receive the Phil Ams and that whole diaspora that's unique to the Philippines. What was, talk a little bit about that for the, for the team and how you saw that play out. Yeah, I have, um, I have mixed emotions on it. So when I first started writing the podcast, that was like the storyline for me, that was the through line is Mm -hmm. The connection to to Phil Ams because that's the piece I can relate to. I cannot relate to playing soccer. I cannot relate to playing in the World <laughs> Cup. <laughs> By no means, I can barely play soccer on a video game. But what I can relate to is being Phil Am, and so that was my that was my through line. That's what we discussed. Um, 
the goal was for anyone who's philam or just not even like you could be of any mm-hmm. culture of any race ethnicity if you just maybe never felt connected to your culture to feel less alone for it to feel relatable and so i really honed in on like the the american piece of being filipino american and then during the world cup when i noticed that specifically on the broadcast that's all they kept talking about Mm -hmm. yeah was them being from the u.s like oh this team of 23 u.s and this u.s born team and headlines being like you know the philippine national team made up of x amount of americans then it kind of started to bother me and i almost Mm -hmm. felt Hmm. in in, in a way not to say that like i drove that piece and i almost felt a little bit of guilt of like did i drive that story too much because then I was like, now we're taking away from the Filipino aspect of it. Right, right. Because regardless of being Philam or from Australia or Canada or wherever, they're representing the Philippines. And instead of talking about that, we keep talking about how essentially like, and I was seeing all the tweets, which I hated of like the USB team and the USC team. Like, no, they're the Philippines team. They just happen to be from America. And so it was just really, it was this Hmm. odd like, push and pull that I had a really hard time parsing through those feelings during the World Cup because it was it was really cool and I had a piece in telling the story of them being Filipino American and the process into why they started recruiting heavily outside of the Philippines, the history there. And, you know, being able to relate to that, being able to relate to them as players. But then at the same time, I didn't like during the actual World Cup about how that's all they talked about. So... And I hated that because I feel like it drove some of that controversy mm, right. of the fact like, because a lot of there was, a, there, I don't want to say a majority, there was a group of people in the Philippines that didn't like the fact that to them, they're like, well, they're not from here. They're not Filipino. And so that whole like, are you Filipino or not really became top of mind during the World Cup because I felt like I was having to argue with, not argue with people. I almost felt like, was I, was I trying to convince myself? Mm-hmm. Like, as I was trying to convince others, was I trying to convince myself that just because you were born in the States and I've never been to the Philippines, I don't speak Tagalog, I like like about five different types of foods, like I'm a very Americanized Filipino, like am I, am I less than? And by trying to convince other people that these players are also, am I also trying to convince myself? And so it was just like a really weird, it was a really weird experience. And in a, in a, it was a proud, it was like, I was proud and it was a very prideful experience to watch the players. But then, yeah, it was a really interesting conversation that kept coming up because I'm like, this isn't unique to soccer. There are so many people who represent their country if they have dual citizenship. But it just seemed like really specifically honed in on on the Philippines. And I thought that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not as if other countries don't do this. I mean, that's no. one, it's like that's one. Tri- and then there's like this, like the unique relationship that the Philippines and the U.S. have. After right. Colon- after, right. I mean, colonialism and all those things, right. It does create this weird dynamic that is unique in many ways. I mean, my kids were part of that pipeline and tried out for the national team years ago when they were first did it. And then they were like, now as young adults, they're like, yeah, dude, would, would we have wanted to play on the Philippines national team? And I'm like, oh, you would have wanted to, but right. They would have, Definitely, they're definitely thinking like, what does that mean 
for a bunch of U.S. trained players mm -hmm. to go over to the Philippines. And so, I mean, mm -hmm. I think they were feeling the same. But at the end of the day, we were super proud because of the Phil Am kind of thing. I mean, I think that was ultimately what came down here. And I mean, when you win and do well, everybody is happy. I mean, you know, so. And I think, yeah. I think too, it's a little bit different, like, especially when you live in places like maybe the Bay where there's so many Filipinos yeah. and the soccer culture is rich and like you have three people from the Bay Area on the team. Like, it's just, I, I guess I don't really know how to like put it into words for people that like maybe don't really understand Bay Area culture. But to us, it's like, well, there's Filipinos everywhere. Yeah. Um, we're super proud of anyone from the Bay. Secondly, super proud of anyone who's Filipino. You've got three of them on the team. Yeah. Like that's super cool where that's where the fill-in part is a lot more like prevalent maybe yeah. to like, again, people from the Philippines. But I remember asking a couple of the, of the players that I interviewed, like, so you know what was that experience like and i'd love to know did you feel welcomed and they they were admitted that at first they were hesitant they weren't sure but when you i think it's the people that have gripes about it is like always it's always a vocal minority right sure but the people that support the team and are proud welcome them they were saying like they were telling me stories about how they would bring in true filipino fashion they'd bring the players food and here's all this like treats and food and they were like uh unfortunately the trainers would they'd take it the trainers oh. would be like uh don't eat that because <laughs> obviously you can't eat that but like the it's the thought right it's the gesture yeah. but it's always a vocal minority yeah no for sure for sure well this idea is a good segue into what i'm asking everybody during philippine american history month uh, you know this question that comes up often about an internal question and a i think sometimes a a proof texting question that we offer, like, are you Filipino enough? Like what, mm -hmm. and you've already touched on that a little bit. I mean, for me, you know, I grew up in a very Filipino family in Stockton was like, you know, ground zero in many ways for Filipino immigration. And, but I always, like, I don't, I, I speak a little Tagalog. Like I can track when people are talking about me and my family, but I, <laughs> I couldn't, I couldn't speak it back. Like, right. and, and I did, I didn't visit the Philippines until I was an adult because I'm third generation. So my grandparents came over Mm -hmm. Um, and so, you know, I, you, you go into some circles and it's like, Ooh, I'm not very Filipino because of mm -hmm. X, Y, Z, but yet what does that even mean? So if I, when I just at, when I just pose that question, whether it's internal or external, are you Filipino enough? What does that mean? Or how would you respond to somebody? Um, what does that conjure for you, uh, either personally or as you're talking with people about this Filipino enough idea? I think it's such a cool question, and I I wouldn't have had an answer even like five months ago, because like that was almost the existential piece of when I was writing Between Two Worlds the podcast, because I was like, I don't feel Filipino. Like it was almost that's why at the end of the episode, I'm very like on the tail end of um, the show, I kind of like recircle I, I circle back and I revisit episode one where I'm like this story more than anything about it being about the national team is also about me figuring out mm. my identity and at first I didn't feel it and then when I was speaking with Lisa Bontasumi who is just phenomenal and also being a licensed therapist right. <laughs> I think having that conversation helped but I remember telling her I I, I just remember saying um because she works with a lot of 
Olympians and athletes and people of all walks of life. And so I asked, I was like, you know, if, if you're working with an athlete who, let's say they're playing on an international stage, the Olympics, World Cup, whatever, and they, you know, are feeling anxious about representing their country or XYZ, like, how do you work through those feelings? And she was breaking it down and you know, she said, I would ask, like, what's your relationship to the culture? What's your relationship to the people? What's your relationship to X, Y, Z? And I'm a very literal person. So I took it <laughs> literally. Okay, now say you're working with me and you asked me that question. And I said, I don't have a relationship with the Philippines. I've never been there and I don't speak the language. Then how would you help me break that down? And she really just put my entire life into perspective when she said, you're not less Filipino because you haven't been there. Mm, right. And I was like, what? Wait a minute, because I'm not. I think, wait, exactly. Because all my, like, my life when I would tell people, oh, I've never been to the Philippines or, oh, I don't understand Tagalog, I don't speak Tagalog, they'd be like, how are you Filipino and not XYZ, blah, blah, blah. And I think over time, I got it in my head, like, because I don't know these things, then I'm just like maybe 30% less Filipino. Right. After having that conversation, it really put in perspective, like, yeah, I, both my, regardless if they weren't, but in my vacuum of a life, like, both my parents are from there. My dad's family is still there. I've, I've actually never met my dad's family because I've never visited the Philippines. They spoke Tagalog in the house. They just didn't teach me. I I think it's just I grew up a little bit more removed. You sounds like you grew up in a rich um, Filipino household as far as culture and maybe a lot of family members around because we were in Idaho. Yeah, I was going to say It was literally just my parents, my brother, and I. And a maybe there's like 30-something Filipinos in the Moscow Pullman right. area. So I just didn't have that same type of upbringing where like one of my best friends who grew up in Vallejo and she was around all her cousins, all her titos and titas. It was family time every weekend. You could get a little more immersed in the culture. And so to answer the question is I, I struggled with that literally up until like three minutes, three, not three minutes ago, three months ago about like, am I Filipino enough or not? Because I similarly like around certain family members, they'd be like, oh, you sound so American or I, mm -hmm. you know, because... I don't speak Tagalog. Like I remember growing up speaking to like my Lola and my teacher on the phone back in the Philippines and they would be like scared to talk to me because they said, I have an accent. I'm like, I don't have an accent, but of course I do to them. Right. Um, and then in certain Filipino circles, because I don't eat yeah. XYZ, understand XYZ, my taste in music or whatever, it might be a little bit different. It's like, oh, you're not, yeah. you're not Filipino I mean, enough. That's, I think that's the hardest life. part is, is we do it to ourselves. Like, mm -hmm. I mean, there's a, like, we have to be an outsider enough in the world. And then, you know, you walk into a Filipino space and everybody's trying to rank where you like, and we do it. And like, we're ranking ourselves. Even it's like, oh, mm -hmm. well, they're super Filipino because they have these five things. But everybody that I've talked to so far, I've interviewed, I think about seven people for uh, Filipino American History Month. Everybody across the board said, if you have a drop, if you, if you have it in you somewhere, then you're enough. And that yeah. is been, like, that's, and just like, we have to internally believe that, right? We have mm -hmm. to be like, yes, I, I'm enough and stop the, like, I, I've walked into space and they're like, well, we're going to speak English now because Bruce is here. I'm like, oh my goodness gracious. Same. <laughs> yeah. Because they know, I, or they'll speak to me in Tagalog and they'll look at me and I'm like, <laughs> what'd you say? And they're like, oh, well, okay. Yeah. Well, I, I'm married to a white woman. So I've been in other space. Like, well, Bruce and his beautiful American wife. I'm like, oh my goodness. You're like, what Bruce is, and his beautiful happening? wife. <laughs> Remove the, you don't have to qualify it. Right. No, what but I'm happening? actually on, um, just last week I downloaded the app Ling. It's basically uh -huh. Duolingo. 
but yeah. they um you can learn tagalog on it my my it's my youngest is is just for for her birthday I said can you pay for a tagalog class and so she That's she's so great cool. languages so she's doing this online tagalog because i i mean and i've tried like i took a tagalog class at, at a an unnamed university here in san francisco and <laughs> Like half the class already spoke, and I'm like, okay, there's like You're five like, of us okay. in the corner. There's five of us in the corner going, yeah, we are not tracking at all. And the professor <laughs> like kept going, like I'm like, yo, they all like first language. Us over here, we're still like translating in our head. This means this. This means yeah. this. I'm like, oh. yeah. I know. I'm so mad yeah. at my parents for not teaching me. I'm over here at 32 <laughs> years old, counting in Tagalog, trying to get past seven. <laughs> we, we we I did Pimsleur for a while and actually really I thought Pimsleur that's like what all the state departments use and that, mm. that actually has been pretty good especially if you travel a lot like what's it, it called uh, Pimsleur P I M S E L U R yeah the state that's what they give to the state uh, department people and it's okay. um it's pretty good I mean I I you know I I'm not a sponsor of them at all they don't but uh <laughs> or what you want to be unless pimsler you know, so i want to be pimsler, but this is brought to you by pimsler because that would be <laughs> awesome yeah now this is brought to me by me and my friends um so this is great though so, so that yeah i mean i think that is one of those pieces that i think for a lot of philams because of our unique space in the world and our relationship with the philippines i mean so do you have plans to go i mean i assume that if you had an opportunity to go you'd be like yes yes please um, I would love to go. And I would love to, especially after my show, after the World Cup, I would love to go in a in a work capacity. Um, sure. I would like work to take me there. And then I would yes. like to also take time to be a tourist. Um, oh, yeah. but I would love to go. I'd love to see where my mom's from, where my dad's from again, meet my dad's family explore um really just kind of feel in tune with everything and then i would also love on the work aspect to see i just think it'd be so cool to go see the impact that the women's national team has had on the soccer community i think would be really special i know that futsal is huge there so i'd love to see what that's like but i it's on my top of my bucket list before yeah. i die is well, i have let's to make, let's, let's make that happen the 10 people that listen to this podcast if you have any connections to <laughs> The Philippines. Can you, she, she's like, oh God, why am I on this show? If only 10 people Stop listen. <laughs> I think it would just be so cool. I mean, maybe, it, yeah. maybe like I'll just take myself there, but in whatever capacity I get there, I absolutely want to go. Well, I, I'm a, I am a fellow gig person. If you can get work to pay for you to get somewhere and then you get to play while you're there, like that's what we do. Like, I, I have no, exactly. like, you're paying for your own insurance. You got to cover all your own stuff in the rest of the world. Get your work to yeah. bring you, and then you play. And when you go, like I've been about five times now, but only in okay. one particular area, uh, okay. in Cebu, Dumaguete. Um, uh, let me know. I'll give you all. Like my friend, like you got to get locals. The one tip would mm -hmm. be get locals to make all your reservations because okay. Americans pay like four times more mm. than locals do. So there you go. I have okay. friends. I'm like, we're coming at this time. Can you make my reservations? Like we got you. And it's oh you know, yeah, that's the way to anyway. There you go. Okay, this is also like a travel tip. podcast. Apparently, uh, <laughs> we've, we've shifted. Brought to you by Expedia. Exactly. <laughs> 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 Which. Uh, so let's, uh, we, we've already been talking for forty minutes, so we're gonna start to wind down. Uh, but I ask every guest. I forgot to tell you this before the show. Uh, now, okay. uh, I could, she's like, "Oh no, what are you gonna ask me now?" <laughs> uh, 
What's your social security number and your credit card? No. Um, <laughs> uh, so what do you, I ask every guest, what are you listening to? What are you watching? Uh, and what are you reading? Uh, any, any or all of those. And it could be, I'll talk a little bit so you can think. Uh, it okay. could be anything from brain candy to deep stuff. Okay. Like I've had academics. I've had people that started speaking Klingon to me in the middle of it. So, you know, you, you could... I, I'm I'm judging by your look on your face. You're not going to speak Klingon to me anyway. <laughs> Though if you did, if you did, that would make my day. Um, so what are you listening to? What are you reading? Uh, what are you watching these days? I will admit I haven't read in a while. Um, and I, I love books. But in the yeah. last few years, I think my attention span has not allowed me <laughs> to read. So I haven't read. I read my phone. So <laughs> there's mm-hmm. that. Um I listening to haven't also listened to much like as far as shows lately, but I will say my favorite thing to listen to lately has been like old, like 2000s R&B. So that's what's in the car. Watching. I do watch quite a lot of TV and um, please tell me I'm going to hear some trash. Um, Tell me I'm going to hear some trash TV. (laughs) No. Oh. I can't. I'm not a big what? trash TV person. No. Okay. Okay. Fine. I used Let's to. I used to. But um, I've been traveling a lot, so I haven't been able to watch much TV lately. The last thing I've probably binged was the new season of Top Boy. I'm a big Top Boy fan. Um, big big what, Top I've, Boy fan. I don't. I've never heard of. Why well, haven't I ever heard? Now I feel like I'm either old or not connected. Uh, tell me about this. It's on Netflix. It's a British based show. It's like about. It's like the the drug scene in London. Um, it started, I, gosh, it's the show's been around for a while. I, 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 don't quote me on this and whoever's listening is going to be like, she's wrong. <laughs> I want to say it was like, like BBC or some UK-based channel started the show and then they canceled right. it after two seasons and then Drake and Netflix picked it back wow. up and they revived it for three more seasons. And so the final season was like a month ago and it's similar for people that watch like your good drug cartel show, like, it's like the like the wire, kind of mm, not as good as the wire. The wire is excellent, okay. but it's like See, and so here's here's our difference. I, I can't watch the wire because it's just too emotional. I have just too much. It's very dark for me. It's very and dark. I just I like I don't need that in my life. I'm I'm yeah. just like give me Star Trek, give me <laughs> Star Wars, give me all the candy. That's, stuff that's a little bit because. Like that type of the sci-fi, like it's not reality, right? So you're not yeah. as emotionally invested. Yeah, exactly. the, the wires is pretty, pretty heavy. Um, Top Boys, like a power meets snowfall, but like in London, oh. great show, love it. Um, so that's probably the last thing I binged. And then I will say I have to very much limit the amount of soccer I watch because since I work in it, I don't want to get tired of it. So. Yeah. I will always watch Angel City. I'll watch some of the big games. Um, I'll limit how much I'll always support, but I, I just have to limit my intake, yeah, especially sure. when when it's your livelihood. So, um, but most of the time, like sometimes I just sit in silence. I go weirdo. <laughs> Stop being all balanced, like being a balanced. Sometimes human being. What's I up sit with in that? silence. Like I think a, because I like just a get weirdo. <laughs> That, might, I just get that so... might be in the promo. I might put that in the promo. Sometimes it's it like a weirdo. Sometimes I just am like so overstimulated that yeah. TV or music is too much. So I'll just sit and like scroll on my phone. But yeah, I, am, I do actually watch a lot of TV. It's just I've been traveling so much lately that I haven't yeah. seen anything. But big Top Boy fan, I would recommend that to anyone who's into that stuff. 
Awesome. No, that that's great. Yeah. Um, let's see. For me these days, I I've been pitching um Second Look for this the Michael Jackson podcast. If uh, Oh, if, okay. So Jay Smooth is one is a DJ from New York. I've I've talked about this before on the show, but I really it's so good at dissecting Michael Jackson and kind of this, okay. and basically say how do you hold the music and the person and all the allegations mm-hmm. and all that separate? And, and I, th- I think they do a really excellent job of, of, of giving foundation to the cultural impact okay. of Michael Jackson and the Jackson Five and the Jacksons, as well as the realities of what of the allegations and everything that's going on to, f- to let you land in a place that you have to f- like decide where you. Do. It's just. So well done. I like that. I've been pushing that for everybody to kind of listen okay. to. It's just really, just really well done. Um, and then the other one, I'm a, I listen to, um, I, I read, but I read through my ears. So I do a lot of, uh, okay. um, audio books and I'm uh, listening to yellow face right now, which is really, really good. If you need a, just something, it's about this author, white author who had an Asian best friend. And this is not a spoiler. She dies early in the book and then she takes the book that she was the Asian was writing and kind of takes it as her own mm. and the implications for a white author telling an Asian story. It's so good. Okay. So well done. I think it's a best. I don't know, but yeah, that's, uh, it's called yellow face, which is okay. excellent. What, what I'm reading. And then um, uh, I peek over because my, both my kids are super academic, but they love, um, trash so like love island is on our tv yeah. whenever mm-hmm. somebody's visiting i figured and i'm like i i, I, I was like this what are we you know what's going on you know two but hours then you later, love I'm it like, yeah i'm it. like two hours later i'm like oh i hate her like how could he <laughs> what she's my favorite how he's terrible like he's, it has that effect it's it's insidious it is that's exactly what I used to watch do. a lot of Love Island, but then after a while, I was like, oh, my God, this is like it's like triggering. Just sometimes uh, like that drama is like too triggering where you're like, oh, my God, my head hurts. And then other times when you really want to escape reality, it's just the best thing on TV. Oh, yeah. I'm in those we moods watch, right now where I'm like, no, we watch the English. Ver- I guess it's the English yes. British one, too, which makes it more fun because right. accents, accents are more fun. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for being on. It was great to get to know you. I'm mean, going to see your face and voice and all that. Are you working with the soul in the future? Is that going to be part of uh, what you're doing? Hopefully, yeah. soul, if you're Hopefully. listening, you have my number. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to, but no, thank you so much for having me. This was so much fun. Yeah, good. Thank you for being here. All right, everybody. Again, this is the last episode of Philippine American History Month, though, um, uh, maybe we're gonna have you back on at some point when you're big and famous. Okay. I'm gonna be like, do you remember you were on this small little podcast years ago, and I made you talk oh, about your ex your existential crisis about <laughs> Filipino? Do you remember that? I remember um, it. So, I'll be there. So we're you're, all right. So uh, for those of you that have been following, make sure you go and listen to the rest of the episodes from this month. But uh, do all your podcasting, subscribe. You know all the things you do when you're at the podcast stuff. And again, uh, we'll see you next week on BRC and Friends. BRC and Friends was hosted and produced by Bruce Reyes Chow. Co-hosts were Jorge Bautista, Mickey Scott Bay Jones, Amy Kim Caramus Parks, and Laura Monaco Heifetz. And the theme music was composed and recorded by Marissa Magdal Laron. Feel free to connect with any of us via the show notes. And lastly, please don't make me beg. Take a moment to rate, review, and subscribe to BRC and Friends wherever you listen to podcasts. Until the next episode, thanks for listening to BRC and Friends.